Welcome back to the One Foot Down Podcast. I'm Eric Murtaugh, back as your host. This is our review for the Syracuse game. The Irish moved to 4-0 with a 31-15 win over the Orange. A very strange game uh, from a lot of different vantage points. Um, I guess, you know, most of the people want to talk about Everett Golson's performance. I don't think you can really have, you know, a performance like he had where it was so good on one side of the ledger and kind of pretty bad on the other side with his fumbles and interceptions. Uh, but, you know, coming, coming out of that game, the story, especially from a national perspective was, you know, he's just continues to, to improve and get better. Although I think a lot of Notre Dame fans would take issue with that, especially with uh, that second pick six, well, his second interception that became a pick six and, you know, the fumble, on the on the failed attempt to spike the ball at the end of the first half. Just a couple, you know, boneheaded plays from Golson, not something I'm terribly worried about. I said that in our in my review on Monday morning. You know, he, he's shown that uh he can protect the ball, especially uh when he's throwing. Uh he doesn't typically throw a whole lot of interceptions and he's kind of proven that over a year and a half as a starter. The fumbling issue is concerning, especially with Stanford coming up can remember back in 2012 I think he fumbled three or four times and no he ended up losing two of them uh, and it, ironically the, the fumble that he had against Syracuse on that third drive was uh or was it the first drive it was area similar to the fumble he had against Stanford where he kind of dances around in the pocket a little bit and then jukes left jukes right ends up kind of prancing down the left sideline, making a guy miss here, making a guy miss there, and then kind of runs out of real estate with, like, a blocker in front of him. But, you know, he's basically stopped running at this point. You think he could just step out of bounds. I think he needs to learn how to, to do that more often, especially when you've already ripped off 20 to 25 yards, just step out of bounds and live to fight another day. But he got caught from behind again and uh, did the same thing against Stanford. But – uh just a strange game all around. I think being at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey kind of helped that out a little bit. Technically a Syracuse home game, but obviously a very pro Notre Dame crowd. And the way the game started was was uh, was was weird too. Notre Dame came out and looked, you know, the offense looked pretty proficient, like they did against Purdue. And of course, we all saw what happened in that Purdue game. It, you kind of thought you were going to blow the Boilermakers' doors off after that first touchdown drive, and then you kind of saw the Irish take the ball again for like the millionth time in a row. It seems like that's happened in every game of the Kelly era, but uh, Golson rushes for that 22 yards down to the uh, Syracuse 16-yard line and then fumbles the ball, so you're kind of like, ah, oh, here we go. But then the defense played pretty well. I mean, if you look at uh, what Syracuse was, was able to do in the first quarter, quarter wasn't really a whole lot they did go four plays 40 yards in that first drive of theirs but then you know they forced punts on the first three drives uh, you can't really ask any much more from your uh from your defense there in that situation you know the offense didn't really look too good after that first drive uh they picked up one first down on the second drive and then rushed the ball up the middle of Folston. he doesn't get anything on a second down, third down, or second, first and second down, he gets a one yard and two yards. And then Golson gets absolutely lit up on a sack 
Um, pretty lucky that he's okay on that hit. He went flying. Um, you know, he's not a terribly big quarterback and, uh, you know, not a good, uh, good position to be in when he's taking shots like that. He also fumbled. Notre Dame was lucky that Steve Elmer, likely the, the culprit uh, on that sack, was able to recover that. Um, third drive, not very impressive. Uh, Brighton, Brian opened up with a six-yard carry, but then uh, that was the, the drive where on third down, Will Fuller took the uh, screen pass. Looked to be the, an easy first down, and he kind of danced a little bit towards uh, the line of scrimmage and uh, ended up getting kind of corralled about half a yard short. Um, I kind of wanted Notre Dame to go for it there. I just kind of felt like it would have been a nice aggressive move. It was at least a yard, maybe less than a yard to go, and it kind of felt like Notre Dame could could run the ball there or do a quarterback sneak. And they ended up punting, but um, the next – Series is Notre Dame, uh, Golson's interception, his first of the first of the game. Kind of hard to get a, a a look at that play. I haven't. I watched the replay once, but I didn't really study that play a whole lot. But uh, looked like just a bit of an off throw by Golson, not as bad as his second uh, interception later in the game. But then the next drive really kind of opened things up in the second quarter. And ended up with Fuller taking a similar. Uh, screen pass to the one where he didn't get that first down. He takes it for a touchdown. Kelly remarked after the game that uh, Fuller basically said, throw that ball again and I'll score on it. And he ended up doing that. So you really have to hand it to Fuller. He scores on a bomb later in the game. This kid's got a lot of swag. Uh, I love the way he's playing. He's not very big at all. Um, You know, Jim on the site kind of mentioned, he brought up some of our uh, predictions for him, I guess, or our, reviews of him when he signed with Notre Dame. And I remember there wasn't a whole lot of film out there of him and, you know, just knowing that he was really small and, and pretty skinny, didn't think he would make an impact right away, be a couple of years away. He had a pretty strong freshman year uh, last year and this year he's blown up. I mean, he's, he's definitely been one of the better receivers in the country. I know a lot of people say, well, he's kind of missed some blocks here and there, but I thought he really blocked well in this game and, you know, he's had a couple of other boneheaded mistakes, but just in terms of like raw potential, I think you're starting to see him develop into a really good receiver, uh, a dangerous receiver too, someone who can take these screens for 20 yards and can also uh, get downfield and make big catches. Uh, he's a lot like TJ Jones. He can go up and get a ball, even though he's 5'10 or 5'11. Uh, he's not terribly big. Uh, so, I mean, he's leading the, the receivers by a mile right now. So uh, some great things from Fuller. Uh, I'd be remiss to not talk about Corey Robinson. He had a career day as well. Uh, he actually led the team with eight receptions. Uh, you know, he, it was kind of funny. I remarked on Twitter, he looked kind of like a, uh, like Sebastian the Ibis when he takes those screens. He's got such long legs. He's not like, he's not very explosive coming out of cuts and, uh, you know, I think that's kind of a testament to how bad Syracuse game plan was because, I mean, they were just leaving Robinson completely unblocked out there or uncovered. And, you know, he's taking the ball for 10 yards at a, at a time on those plays. And, um, you know, I, that's not something that's probably going to work against Stanford or Florida state. And 
That's also something we talked about on the site, kind of developing a second receiver. I think maybe three or four of his eight catches are probably on those screens, but he did have that wonderful touchdown reception in the end zone. Uh, just great body control. Like that's kind of, you know, I think they, a lot of people talk about him catching those, those passes or catching fades like that. I mean, those are tough catches to make. It's not something I think a receiver can really make a huge living off of. It's not like you're going to catch three touchdowns every game or, you know, three or four big catches like that every game. You really have to develop other aspects to your game, especially a short intermediate routes. And I think that's where Corey uh, needs to step up and develop more as a receiver. Um, some news uh, from Brian Kelly's press conference today, taping this on a, on a Tuesday night, he did mention that Amir Carlisle will come back and play this Saturday. His knee really uh, has healed really well. So I believe they're looking for him to start in the slot. So you'll also have him and Proceis and also Torrey Hunter scores a touchdown on his first career reception. He also took a jet sweep on the play before that for a nice six-yard gain as well. Um, he actually had two carries for 13 yards. You know, that that's a little something that can really help the running game. If you get a player like Hunter going, you know, one, two, three carries a game on something like that, I, I think that's really something that this offense needs uh, in the running game, something that opposing defenses have to account for. Uh, you know, we've talked about the jet sweep on the site. It seems like it's been really since Kelly got here, but really after the, that Purdue or BYU game, excuse me, a couple of years ago when we just used that over and over again and we really ran the ball really well between the tackles and on a lot of those outside zone plays and eventually Atkinson ended up scoring on one of those keepers on the sweep. But, you know, this Syracuse game was one of the better ones from play calling standpoint from Kelly. Uh, there's lots of different looks. I mean, obviously they were killing Syracuse on the screen game and uh, from that standpoint that was really good play calling, but, you know, just in terms of the running game, you know, putting those H backs over the tackles, uh, kind of a, a, I guess what I would call a pushed forward diamond formation. And normally in the diamond, you would have the uh, two running backs or H backs or fullbacks, whatever you want to call them next to the quarterback in a shotgun formation. But this is kind of having blockers uh, up to the front. Uh, and, uh, you know, Notre Dame can do a lot of, different things out of that a lot of different looks uh you know right for now we could probably focus on developing the running game with those players out there blocking get some isos a lead blocker you know it's a lot tougher for the offense or for the defense to pick up which side you're going to stuff like that especially when you have the running back and pistol um and eventually you know you can you, you get that running game down and uh, you can develop that then you can start getting those H-backs involved in, in the passing game. And, and, you know, I think that's really something that, uh, you know, I've always been – people joke on the site, you know, diamond formation is my favorite formation, but one of the drawbacks to that diamond formation is you're not really using your H-backs or your tight ends like you would, uh, quote-unquote, uh, traditional Notre Dame tight end would be used. Like, for example, Tyler Eifert was – you know, he plays a little bit of your NFL old-school tight end attached to the line and goes out and blocks and goes out and runs some routes. And then, 
you have them detached from the line in the slot and doing stuff from there. But this kind of H-back role is a little bit different. I mean, it's a lot more blocking, um, you know, but – and then even a lot of the pass catching is in the flat. You know, you're not really getting a ton of yardage. But if you look at the roster this year, I think, you know, someone like Koyak, I don't, I don't know if he's really going to be taking that next step and developing into – the type of tight end we've seen like Nicholas and Eifert and Rudolph, um, you know, it's Koyak senior year. He's four games in, he's got, you know, seven or eight games left in his career. I don't really think he's going to be the type of player that's going to be catching five, six, seven passes a game and, you know, leading the team and receiving for half of the remaining games. So it almost seems like the offense kind of fits this kind of th- H-back role a little bit. I mean, Tyler Luatua is, I mean, he was born to play that position. And if you look in recruiting, you know, kind of the rumblings are Notre Dame is looking for more of these H-back roles uh, and body types out there. They're looking at guys who maybe could play middle linebacker, but, you know, maybe could play the H-back roles as lead blockers. And and I think this is really something interesting for Notre Dame to explore. Uh, You get the sense that Brian Kelly's not completely comfortable with it. Um, you know, if you go back to his roots, he's he's been pretty much uh, three wideouts, one tight end, one running back, and then you know, for the most, the majority of his career, he'll have a mobile quarterback running the ball along with that one running back. But you know, coaches can change a little bit and evolve. I don't think we're ever going to see um, you know a power spread like Urban Meyer runs, but I think this is something that's going to be good, especially for this year, if they continue. And that's really one of the big things that I harp on is, you know, it's nice to see these multiple looks and these variations and using jet sweeps and, you know, running that tricky little trip option play that they threw the ball to Cam McDaniel out of early in the game. You know, it's really cool to see that stuff for one game, but it's, that's something I want to see for the rest of the season. I don't want, you know, to to play Stanford and just get bogged down on the same old offense that we've seen, you know, a very predictable running game and, you know, not as many lead blockers. I think you really have to focus on keeping this stuff as varied as possible. And it's one of the things I just harp on over and over. You're in a spread offense. This is what, you know, you should be doing. We saw in 2012 with two tight end sets, we kind of, mix things up a little bit uh, running a more of a power game out of those sets. But I think with, the, with these two H backs, you can kind of stay more in like spread looks, quote unquote spread looks. I know there are some harumphers out there that'll take umbrage with that, but basically what it means is you can run a lot of, you know, jet sweeps and, and do things out of the diamond formation and, and move maybe one of those H backs around where, you know, you're still doing quote unquote spread type things, uh, you know, with your quarterback and when you're throwing the ball and running the ball. So um, hopefully we'll see that this weekend against Stanford. Uh, Very interested to see uh, what the offense looks like and kind of how they go about attacking Stanford's defense, who I think, you know, if you just look at the past four or five years, they play well against teams that don't spread the ball around. 
and wind up just kind of hammering up the middle. They do. They have played well against Oregon a couple times, but there's also been a couple times Oregon has absolutely hammered them. So, you know, I think keeping things open, especially in the passing game, will be important. But also, I think you know using these this H back sets and jet sweep motions is going to be important to grind out some yardage on the ground. Uh, I don't think Notre Dame's going to win this game solely on Everett Golson's arm or passing for 350 yards. I think, you know, they need about 150 yards in this game this weekend. So, you know, defensively in this game against Syracuse, uh, you know, you look at some of the numbers and you wouldn't really believe how well they played. Syracuse ended up with 17 first downs, which is, you know, that's pretty good for Syracuse. Uh, I don't think anyone would look at that number and think that's dominant. Um, they had 135 yards rushing, but a lot of that was on the, a fake punt. You know, I thought Terrell Hunt had, you know, it was almost like him and Golson were kind of very similar in the sense that they were both so hot and cold. I mean, Hunt, I didn't think for the majority of that game looked all that impressive. I thought when the pocket was shrinking and, you know, his line were getting pushed into him. He was really uh, sketchy with his accuracy. A lot of short passes were just off the mark. Uh, he looked like he was hurried a little bit. I thought he would be a little bit more mobile uh, in terms of, you know, the the pocket was shrinking and he didn't really play like Golson. He wouldn't run outside the pocket and kind of either run the ball or try to look downfield and buy some more time. He just kind of stood there and, you know, off the – you know, he kind of with the pocket was going to collapse in three seconds. He was getting rid of the ball, no matter what. And I thought for the most of the most of the night, he didn't really play all that well. But you know, he saw that one pass uh, to start the game it was just a beautiful pass down the sidelines with Jalen Smith draped all over the wide receiver. And uh, you know, he dropped a couple other times in this game that were just beautiful passes. And you're like, oh my god, where did that come from? And just one of those things. It almost was like kind of reminded me of uh, the way Dane Chris would play from time to time. You'd see some really nice downfield throws, um, maybe not as quite as beautiful as Hunt had on Saturday against Notre Dame. I mean, he really threw some really nice throws, just perfectly placed, um, especially along the sideline. I mean, there's not a lot of room. They often say, you know, the sideline's another defender for that corner, and Hunt just dropped him right in the bucket. Um, but a lot like Kristen, the fact that, you know, you would see Dane Chris throw some nice passes downfield, some intermediate passes, and then you would see him try to complete some short eight-yard passes, and they would just be wildly inaccurate. And Hunt was a lot like that. So, uh, But he did finish with 294 passing yards. I kind of think some of that came a little bit uh, towards the end of the game. Not really garbage time, but it seemed like, uh, you know, Syracuse abandoned the run a little bit, and he was just kind of, hitting every other pass and it didn't really, uh, not a whole lot of points for Syracuse, which is the name of the game, I suppose. Uh, but you know, in the end is I was really happy with the way the defense played. Uh, the, def- the defensive line continues to impress. Uh, I'm a little worried that they haven't been tested a whole lot. And again, Stanford coming up, uh, is going to test them in a different way. I don't really think Stanford's an explosive offense in the same way Florida state is, but, just in terms of like talent and like recruiting talent and stuff like that and size and stuff, Stanford's kind of on another level that we've seen so far. But even so, I mean, Syracuse has 
a really experienced offensive line, and they're not terribly undersized at all. And Notre Dame really pushed them around, I thought, in this game. Uh, linebackers continue to do uh, a lot of good things. Didn't think Jalen had you know a great game for his standards. Uh, he's always around the ball, but uh, I think especially at his position at that will linebacker position, it would be nice if he would be a little bit more impactful. And, uh, you know, I think he's someone who you could look at and say, you know, you, you, you have the ability to have 20, 25 tackles for loss. And, uh, you know, if you see the stat sheet, he doesn't have any tackles for loss or any, you know, you know, big play that you remember. I think that's kind of a down game for him. I think he's talented enough where you can say that even four games, four games into his sophomore year. So, uh, you know, the secondary I thought played okay at times. Uh, Cole Luke got picked on a lot in this game. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, if Kavai Russell comes back, what they plan on doing with the corners. Uh, I'll get into that towards the end of the podcast. But, you know, Cole Luke got picked on with some of those beautiful throws. Uh, you know, I thought his coverage was pretty good. Got to turn his head around uh, and make a play in the ball. I think on a couple he tried to, and it was literally the ball just like went right by his hand or his arm by like a hair. And uh, again, perfectly placed balls. Uh, that sounded really bad. Uh, but the passes were really perfectly placed. So uh, just overall a really weird game. It kind of, I mean, you look at how some of the things played out, you know, Syracuse misses an extra point. They go for two. They don't get it. Um, they did get a pick six, but then that fumble play, I mean, who knows what, what the refs would have called that in another, uh, another conference. Uh, you know, that could have been points there. That would have been devastating for Notre Dame to go under the break thinking you're going to go up at least 17 to three, maybe 21 to three. All of a sudden it's 14 to 10. This game really, I thought had the look and feel at times, um, of like a 56 to 30 game. And uh, it's kind of funny that just ended up being 31 to 15. Uh, Syracuse didn't score a whole lot. Notre Dame scored enough, but it wasn't really, you know, you think, Oh, Hey, remember that time that Everett Golson hit 25 straight passes? You would think, Hey, would score 50, 55 points. No 31. I mean, obviously you can go right to the turnovers and everything, but definitely had that feel of a game, a high scoring game. And, it was just kind of weird that it didn't play out that way. So kind of glad to have that game over. It didn't feel like a trap game, but, uh, you know, they had to exercise some demons uh, at MetLife Stadium. I thought they, you know, the turnovers aside, they played pretty well. I just kind of cleaned up some of those mistakes this weekend. So looking forward to Stanford this weekend, uh, I noticed that the line is now – Plus two, uh, the Cardinal favored by two now on a Tuesday. I thought that line would move the other way. Maybe it still will. We'll have to see about that. But, um, you know, this is a really, really interesting Stanford team. I Kind of in the middle of my preview for this game uh, for Thursday's post and uh, – the one thing that stuck out to me, and I almost couldn't believe my eyes, they haven't rushed for 200 yards in a single game this year. Um, I mean, just kind of ran the numbers. They kind of have averaged um, still over 200 yards per game over the last four years, not including this year. But, you know, that's that's a pretty low number for them. They're averaging, I think, 160-something yards a game. 
Um, their main running back, Ramond Wright, did miss the Army game um, for whatever that's worth. He had a, a bit of a leg injury. I think he could have played if it was a tougher opponent, but they sat him out that game. Uh, they do use three running backs, but Wright is really their main guy. If you look at uh, you know the USC and Washington games, uh, he's getting the bulk of the carries. So I would expect 12 to 15 from him this weekend. Uh, but you know they, they've built their whole identity and offense around running the ball and be able to pound it down your throat and be tougher than you. And, you know, you're not really seeing it that this year so far out of their offense. Now I do have to to kind of look at their competition. They have played USC. They have played Washington. I know a lot of fans would say, Oh, those teams aren't that good. Um, You know, USC gave up 700 million rushing yards to Boston college and Washington gave up, X amount of points to Eastern Washington. and But uh, if you look at those teams, you know, they have good defensive lines, especially in their starters, um, good front sevens. You know, Washington has a really good defensive line. Uh, they've been really good at stopping the run. And, you know, Stanford didn't have a great game against Washington in terms of running the ball. But, I mean, if I were looking at it from a Notre Dame perspective, you know, going up against a Washington team and kind of with the struggles Notre Dame has had at times trying to run the ball this year, I would look at that game and say, you know, okay, you did okay. I mean, it's not great, especially for Stanford standards, but um, I'm just going to queue up their rushing yards from that game. So they had 186 yards on 40 carries. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, that's going to win. I mean, if Notre Dame does that against Stanford this weekend, I think they're going to win the ball game. Um, 4.6 average. You know, if Notre Dame can do that, um, I like that. So I, it's, I don't think this is a case of Stanford being, uh, you know, half the team they used to be rushing the ball or, you know, the Harbaugh guys are gone now and they've lost their toughness and mental edge and identity. I think, this is probably a case of teams aren't that worried about Kevin Hogan and, you know, they have a young, a talented offensive line that hasn't quite gelled yet. So um, I still think they're talented and I wouldn't be surprised if they ran for 200 or 210 or something like that. Um, we still don't know how this Van Gorder defense is going to handle a big, tough uh, offense like Stanford. So uh yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, Hogan doesn't really strike a whole lot of fear into people, but you know, he's I, I I tend to like him a lot more than I think the average fan does. I think he fits in well with what they do. Um, I I like that he can extend plays with his feet, but more so that he, when he runs, uh, I like the way he runs. He's it's almost like he's getting ten yards, and that's all he's getting, and he's gonna, just going to keep the drive alive. I wish Golson would kind of run a lot more like that. Um, but even if you look at the rushing statistics, Hogan's leading the team in carries now. Some of that has to do with Wright missing a full game, but uh, he's only, he only has 87 yards on 34 carries, but he does have two touchdowns. Um, but, you know, this just doesn't look like quite the same rushing team. Sanders, Wright, and Young, their top three running backs, none of them have a touchdown uh, on the ground through four games, which is crazy. So, um you know, this is going to be a game where I think Notre Dame can hold up against the run. 
and you know, as much as I said, I, I think I like Hogan better than the average person. I think I like the matchup of Hogan versus Golson and Golson being able to do more in the passing game. Now that comes with a caveat that Notre Dame is going to have to run the ball uh, with some success this weekend. So, um, you know, I don't think this is a game where unless Stanford turns the ball over three or four times, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to, you know, rush for 65 yards and hope that Golson, you know, rushes for 35 of those and scores two touchdowns in the ground, then also throws for 320 and two scores and Notre Dame wins, you know, 28 to 21 or something, which is uh, it might be close to what I'll be predicting. Uh, I don't think this is going to be an awfully high-scoring game. So uh, big game for Notre Dame this weekend. Stanford, um, God, you have to think at some point they're going to take a step back and with the record – uh, I don't know if this is the the team that's going to fall back to an eight and four. The Pac-12 is really tough, though, so, and uh, you know they got a pretty tough schedule this year. They've already played Southern Cal and lost that game. I mean, they scraped out the win at Washington. Now they got to travel to Notre Dame. Uh, they still have to travel to Arizona State. They have to travel to Oregon. They have to travel to UCLA. I mean, that's these are some tough road games, uh, and, and you know teams like Utah and Oregon State and. Uh, those aren't pushovers any by any stretch of the means. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if this is an, an eight and four or nine and three Stanford team that's still pretty good. You know, kind of look at Notre Dame last year, nine and four team that was pretty good. Just didn't have some of the pieces in there that you'd like to see from uh, a, you know a, a great Notre Dame team. So, really excited for this game. Um, as someone who generally likes the night games, I think it's going to be nice to have a, a three thirty start. Uh, you know, it's been, well, since the opener, I guess. It's almost been a full month since we've seen, or just over a month since we've had a, an afternoon game. So that'll be a, a different uh, break for uh, for everyone and for all the fans that are watching. You know, the last thing I want to talk about was the, uh, the Maroon 5 saga. Uh, hopefully, you know, we've, Basically, the only information we're getting is from Brian Kelly, and I'm not really sure how much he knows. I think he's kind of – I don't want to say he's left out of the loop. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure how, how, how knowledgeable about the situation he is. I mean, he's basically admitted that much, that he doesn't know the, basically the processes of what's going on. And in his press conference on Tuesday, he basically said he didn't even know if he was going to be involved in the hearings – I was kind of surprised that he said that. I don't know why he would be involved with the hearings unless, who, you know, whoever's doing the hearing wants to hear about the tutor program and how that relates to the football program and how much Brian Kelly knew and, like, if the NCAA is going to be involved. I don't really – I don't know. It, it, it's a situation that just seems to have reached absurd uh, – an absurd point at the – you know, right now and, and – uh just from talking with some people, you know, this has been one of the most tight-lipped things uh, in and around Notre Dame in a number of years. I mean, there's a lot of people who are usually very knowledgeable and can get behind-the-scenes information, uh, can get behind some closed doors and figure things out. I mean, nobody knows anything that's going on right now, which is just – I know it's frustrating for a lot of fans and the, the whole time 
frame of everything and kind of thought that this would be wrapped up um, sometime after the Purdue game. And here we are after the Syracuse game, a few days from the Stanford game. You know, we still don't really know what the end result's going to be. My gut does tell me that I think we're going to get back a couple of the players. Um, I think that is going to be frustrating for some fans because I don't expect to really, I don't expect Notre Dame to come out and say, this is what happened. This is why this person was kicked out. And this is why this kid wasn't kicked out or, you know, maybe there's an extra suspension. Maybe someone gets a semester and comes back. I don't really think we're going to know the full story and be able to figure out exactly how everything broke out. Um, I, in my gut, I don't think there's going to be vacated wins. Um, I find that pretty hard to believe uh, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I won't really get into it, but the only way I can really realistically see that happening is if, uh, if some of the rumors are true that this is kind of much broader scope, um, you know, former players, a number of former players going back a number of years. If that's true, then I think, you know, vacating events could possibly happen. But uh, that, I, I don't know, that would have to be, even the NCAA would have to look at that and say, you know what, <laughs> you guys didn't know this was going on. And, uh, you know, this doesn't, supposedly the the helping with the papers isn't something that was, terribly egregious and you know there's a giant gray area just in that whole uh you know realm of cheating as it is so uh, i thought tavares daniels probably shouldn't have come out with his statement on on friday this past friday with espn.com just because i'm not sure what it really does for him um I can imagine that maybe Brian Kelly wasn't too happy about it. And I don't think it's going to be a case where if he does come back that, you know, they're going to keep him on the bench or he'll be, you know, suspended or something further for doing something like that. But I mean, he didn't really say anything. I mean, if you look at what Tavares actually said or what he was quoted as saying, he really didn't say anything besides, you know, Oh, it shouldn't take this long. I'm frustrated and I miss my team. Well, you know, you kind of, Everyone kind of knew that, so I didn't think it was really smart on his uh, behalf to, uh, to to come out and say that, especially when you're supposedly going to have your your uh, hearing in a week. So, you know, I think people were trying to read that he's guilty and he's just trying to get his side of the story out there, but he didn't really say anything, and I'm sure he kind of is smart enough to know that he, even if he did want to say some things and tell his side of the story truthfully that he's not going to do that through ESPN and, you know, so depending on, you know, who to believe there should be some hearings Wednesday or Thursday or possibly Thursday and Friday, you know, maybe there's a small hope that they would get some players back for the Stanford game, but, you know, basically they're not going to be able to practice with the team and work on the game plan. So, uh, I could see someone like Russell coming back and playing a little bit at corner. If he were to be reinstated on like Thursday on like a Thursday afternoon, maybe he gets into practice on a Thursday. Um, you know, Daniels, I don't know, maybe I think 
right now, as long as Carlisle's looking good and uh, the receivers can stay healthy for that game. I don't know if Daniels would be uh, someone who would insert into the lineup uh, at the last second like that, especially with you know some of his uh, history, uh, you know, being on the wrong page of the quarterback and stuff like that. I think that's really something you're going to want to iron out uh, when you're playing Stanford. Uh, someone like Ishak Williams, uh, tough to say. You know, the defensive line's been playing really well. Uh, you know, maybe he's somebody would throw in rotationally kind of second or third string. Uh, it's tough to say, but I think Russell's the one guy um, that everyone's kind of hoping comes back. I know I am. I still kind of find it hard to believe that, uh, you know, he did anything too egregious uh, with this whole saga. So uh, hopefully he's, he's back if not for the Stanford game, but maybe the next game. So, That'll wrap up our uh, 39th podcast. Uh, we'll be back with a recap of the Stanford game. Hopefully Notre Dame is 5-0 and after that game. And who knows, there's so many uh, games this weekend where ranked teams are playing other ranked teams. Uh, Notre Dame could be a top-five team uh, by this time next week. So let's hope that happens. Uh, I'm Eric Murtaugh. Check out everything on onefootdown.com, and we'll see you next week.